Hi, this is Ann Robertson, pastor of the United Methodist Church of Westford in Westford, Massachusetts, and this is the sermon from this morning, February 11th, on the nature of Jesus and the Son of God. Please remain standing for the reading of the Gospel, which comes from the third chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. There are volumes that have been written and that are still being written on the nature of Jesus. It's been debated from the time that some astrologers saw a bright star over Bethlehem onward, both in private and in public. Who was this guy? Was he a prophet? A great rabbi, the incarnation of God, the Messiah expected by the Jews, a delusional peacenik. Who was this Jesus guy? What does the church really believe about him? And does it even matter? Well, let's start with a couple areas of common agreement. First of all, Jesus existed. Jesus is a historical figure that we can place in a particular time and a particular place in history. There are a few stragglers that claim he never was, just as there are some that say the Holocaust never happened or that the earth is flat. They're not given a serious place at the discussion table. There's more historical evidence for the existence of Jesus than there is for Napoleon and a whole lot of other people that we just take for granted. So that's thing one. Jesus existed, which makes the question of who he is all that more important. Thing two is to recognize that whoever he was, he had a cataclysmic impact on the world, which is really tremendously odd given his life and death. Jesus was not born to power and influence, as was the Buddha. Jesus did not write a large religious volume to pass along as the direct word of God as did Muhammad. Jesus was not the king of a nation that, with a tradition of divine kingship like the pharaohs in Egypt or the emperors in Japan. Jesus was, historically, the son of a carpenter. We can tell his family was poor because of the sacrifices that they bring to the temple at the time of Jesus' circumcision. They bring a pair of doves, the sacrifice prescribed for the poor who cannot afford sheep, or goats, or bulls. We know almost nothing of his life before age 30, at which time he becomes a sensation, working miracles, becoming a populist teacher, wandering around the hillsides of Palestine without any real place to call home. After just three years of teaching and miracles, he's made the religious authorities so mad that they arrange for his execution as a criminal, at which point the disciples either go into hiding or return to their former trades. 
There is no reason for a human being with Jesus' biography to be at the foundation of Christianity as we know it today. Maybe he could have been at the center of a sect that endured for 50 or 100 years. But 2,000 years as one of the major religions of the world and all of time oriented around him? That takes some historical gymnastics that are hard to pull off with a mere human being who was executed in shame. So the Christian claim is twofold. First, our belief is that Jesus was the Messiah that the Jews had been expecting. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah, both of which mean anointed one. It was the practice of the ancient Israelite prophets to anoint the kings of Israel, indicating God's choice of a person for special work on behalf of the nation. Because of biblical prophecies, the Jews came to expect that there was going to be a very special anointed one, a Messiah with a capital M, that would rise up from their midst and be a savior for them in the way that Moses had been. Especially as Israel experienced almost constant occupation by foreign powers, they looked to God to send a liberator, a leader like Moses, like King David, that David read about, who would beat off their enemies and bring a time of peace and prosperity and self-rule to Israel. The Jews were not looking for the Messiah to be a divine figure. And they're still not. The, the Jewish concept of a Messiah is for a specially anointed human being, not a divine being. It was the function that was important to free the people. Now, for a brief time, the Jews in the first century in Palestine thought Jesus was it. But when he refused to rally an insurgency to oust the Romans and ended up being executed without any sort of struggle whatsoever, they abandoned both that idea that Jesus was the liberator and Jesus himself. Now, the Christian claim is that Jesus was indeed that Messiah that they were expecting but that the freedom he brought was a spiritual freedom rather than a physical one. In other words, the Christian claim is that people were looking for the wrong kind of Messiah. Christians believe that Jesus did on the spiritual plane everything that Moses did on the physical. Whenever you say Jesus Christ, you express the belief that Jesus was the Messiah so long expected by the Jews. Now, once Christians start highlighting Jesus' claims to be working in the spiritual realm, it implies that Jesus is more than just human. When Jesus told a paralyzed man to take up his mat and walk, nobody was upset that he healed him. But when Jesus also said to the man, and your sins are forgiven you, the blasphemy radar began to go up in the religious leadership and they reminded him that only God can forgive sins. But Jesus didn't say, oh, you know, you're right, your sins aren't forgiven after all. Jesus stuck with his authority. 
Now, there's a lot more that can be said about that, but the point is that Christians have believed from the very beginning that Jesus had a relationship with God that at the very least was different than that of ordinary human beings. They also believed at the same time, however, that Jesus was really a human being in his own right and not some kind of demigod that decided to possess a human body for a while and then exit. Now, once those ideas began to hit the culture, the fur began to fly. And where we ended up in terms of Christian doctrine was the belief that Jesus was two things at once, fully human and fully God. Don't ask me how that works. I don't think anybody can define how that works. But that's where Christian orthodoxy ended up, that Jesus is at once everything that a human being can be and is and everything that God is at once. Whenever somebody tries to emphasize one side and diminish the other, they've been condemned as heretics. And when you take time to learn about the details of the arguments, you can begin to see the reasons behind some of the specific lines in the creeds, both the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, come out of those wranglings and discussions about who Jesus really is. But the church stood firm. Both were to remain somehow in tension together. Jesus as a man, Jesus as God, both at once. Now, it's from that tension that we get what I think is a very confusing phrase, the Son of God. What it seems to say on the surface isn't what Christianity teaches. We don't believe that Jesus is a separate deity in a child-parent relationship with God. There are massive theological tomes written about the phrase. But for me, the practical piece is to know that Son of God is an imperfect analogy for how Jesus could be both human and God at the same time. In Christian teaching, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all different ways to describe the one God, sort of like water, ice, and steam are all H2O, but we experience them differently. We call it the Trinity, and Jews and Muslims tend to think that we worship three gods instead of one. But our claim is that whether we're talking in terms of Father, of Son, of Holy Spirit, Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, however you want to name those three, we're talking about different manifestations of the same thing, the one God. So, who cares? What difference does it make? Is there anything different in the life of someone who believes that Jesus was, as some have termed him, the God-man? Does believing that Jesus was divine as well as human make any difference at all when we get out of bed in the morning? Well, for me it does, and I want to share why. If Jesus truly is God, that says some incredible things about the God of the universe. If Jesus is God, then God has actual experience of what my life is like. We all know how hollow it sounds when someone says, I know what you're going through. Well, they haven't got a clue. They haven't been there. They haven't had those experiences. When that means something is when it comes from someone who has gone through whatever it is we're going through. 
with Jesus as God, then God knows from experience what it's like to be poor, what it's like to be hungry, what it's like to be persecuted. God knows what a whip with metal ends feels like, knows what mockery, humiliation, and abandonment are all about, and knows what it feels like to die. God knows what it feels like when a close friend betrays you. God also knows about the fun and the joy of weddings and festivals, about the disciplines of study and prayer and what it takes to stick with them. God knows about family and friends and how it feels when they criticize you or when they fall asleep during something important and how much you miss them when they're gone. Believing that Jesus actually is God, for me, is the single most important thing responsible for the personal and intimate connection that I feel with God. God doesn't just relate to me from a high and almighty position. God knows what it's like on the ground where I live. Jesus is merely a good man, makes me revere and honor Jesus, much as I do Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr. Jesus as God turns my love and adoration towards God, which all through Jesus' ministry is what he's trying to do. When I express the Christian conviction that Jesus is God, it defines for me what I mean when I refer to God. If Jesus the man is not also God, then God kind of remains beyond my reach as a human being, and I have no means of understanding. We can never fully understand God, but if God isn't at least a little bit accessible, how do we have any chance of knowing anything about God? If Jesus is God, I still only know God in a limited form, but I at least have that limited knowledge. I at least have enough information about what God values and what God expects to go on in my daily life. That's what we mean when we talk about the term revelation. God is revealed in Jesus. The nature of God is made both known and comprehensible in the life of Jesus. It's not the only way that God is made known. God was first made known to human beings through creation, was made known to the Jews through the Torah. God in Jesus is, for me, just a clearer and more comprehensive picture of the nature of God. Jesus is sort of the multimedia interactive version that you can watch and touch and see and even argue with. Some of you have heard this before, but my quick and dirty version of how God has been trying to invite us into relationship since the beginning is that God first does that and is revealed through what God has made in creation. And we look at that and we kind of got it right, but we kind of got it wrong and just started worshiping trees. So, okay, says God, let's, that's a start, but let's try something else. Let's write it down and see what it, see if we can get it across that way. So God inspires individuals to write scripture and to convey God's law. And that gets a little bit more across, but people start getting caught up in the book and so hung up on the details that they forget the root of the whole thing. And finally, God says, 
okay, that's good, but you know what? I think I'll come there myself. I'll show up in person and show you what all of this means. I'll show you what it looks like. You can ask me questions. I'll show you what life is like so you don't get hung up on the details. Um, I'll show you my love. I'll live it out for you. And we killed him. <laughs> and then Jesus comes in the form of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and says, all right, let's try from the inside out. I will put my law and my word inside of you. You'll have this conscience that will tell you what's right and what's wrong and move you to love one another. And we're still working on that one. But I don't believe that Jesus is a different revelation of God. I think the gospel is there in creation. I think God said everything that needed to be said verbally by the end of Deuteronomy. For me, however, the revelation of God in Jesus is much easier to grasp because it comes in a form and in a language that I can understand. If Jesus was just a great teacher and a mighty prophet, I feel kind of lost because then God is far from me. And who knows whether what I do is going to be acceptable in God's sight. But if Jesus is God, if what I read about Jesus is a revelation of who God is and how God behaves, phew, that is really, really good news. Because if that's true, then God goes to eat dinner with precisely those people that we think God would never come close to. And God forgives even those who betray him to the death. If Jesus is God, there is a hope that God will communicate with me in a way that I can understand. And if I don't get it, we'll try again and again and again. And will forgive me when I blow it. If Jesus is not God, then statements like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Make Jesus a blasphemer, and those who follow him idolaters. If Jesus is God, however, he's making perfect sense and saying what's already been revealed in the Torah and in creation, that God is the way, and God is the truth, and God is the life, and that the way to understanding God as a loving parent who will do absolutely anything for his children comes through recognizing what God did for us in Jesus. When I get out of bed in the morning believing that Jesus is God, I can engage and explore my faith without fear of being condemned if I get it wrong. I can live my life proactively without fear that a wrong choice will put me in some place that God can't reach. I can accept the variety of ways that the God of love has been revealed in different times and different places. And I can finish the day on my knees in gratitude that the God to whom I'm praying knows from firsthand experience the joys and the sorrows that have filled my last 24 hours. To that Lord, I gladly give my allegiance and my love. Amen. Thanks for subscribing to Spirit Walker Sermons. If you're ever in the area, stop in for worship at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 10 Church Street in Westford, Massachusetts. I'd love to have you stop by my website at www.annrobertson.com, where you can also subscribe to a weekly devotion, which you can receive either as an email or a podcast. I'd love to hear from you via email at ann at annrobertson.com.
Thanks again for subscribing, and I hope your week is filled with God's blessings. Thank you.